0: American Empire, still on the loose. Join me as we seek the truth with special guests, the distinguished authors, Paul Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Gould, a husband and wife team who were the first American TV crew to get visas to enter Afghanistan way back in 1981. Since then, they have done work for CBS, PBS, and ABC. To tell their story, they have worked with the famed director, Oliver Stone, and with Afghan human rights expert, Sima Wali. Together, they have written extensively on VT, exploring foreign policy, and the books they have written are off the charts. Join me when I ask them, who controls the world? Right here, right now, on VT Radio. Let's go.
1: With host, Johnny Punish.
0: Okay. We're on with Paul Fitzgerald and Liz Gould, world travelers. Uh, today I'm going to ask you, Paul and Liz, uh, well, first, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you for you. having us on. You. You're welcome. And, uh, the, the basic question I want to know and a lot of our listeners want to know is who controls the world right now? Now, I know you've been around the world. Uh, you've got extensive experience in the Afghanistan theater of war. Um, but before we get into that question, Tell our viewers and listeners a bit about your journey and how we're going to get to this point to discuss this issue, how you got to this point.
2: Well, we, I know what I like to start with is the fact that um, we got into this, uh, this, this, the geopolitical part of this experience back in 1979. Uh, We were uh, actually developing a documentary on the arms race because President Carter had just gotten into office and it was going to be. I know, so, and there was going to be a peace dividend finally after the Vietnam debacle. And uh, a lot of people were excited about detente and about uh, the SALT Treaty, the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. And something incredible happened uh, December 27, 1979, when the Soviet Union crossed the border into Afghanistan. What we witnessed was something that I think people are now witnessing, okay, in, 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 in the sense they're seeing things they feel they've never seen before. We witnessed the total collapse of the peace idea of detente, of negotiation. Uh, everybody signed on when the Soviets crossed that border. The uh, narrative had clearly been written before they crossed the border and it was obvious to us. And that's one of the reasons why we feel it's an incredible moment that we captured. And in order for people to understand today, I advise you strongly to come back with us and know what happened back in 1979 when Zbigniew Brzezinski was able to literally activate um, the the dream of the neocons to have a causes belli that they could rely on for the next 50 years, which is what they've been doing. Because when the Soviets crossed that border, literally something shifted. And that's why you, you can't really understand who's in control today unless you go back there.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, you can actually go back and you can look, <clears throat> you can trace this group of people back before World War I to the late 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. And you can see they form in different, different groups, different blocks. Sometimes it's, it's on one, the, the emphasis is on one block and on another. But much of this has been orchestrated out of London. This is something that has always been the case. The British Empire may have changed form in 1945 when it turned over to the United States, but the fact was is that the the instruction manual was written in in London by the British. MI uh, MI six basically cre- helped to create the OSS and then the CIA in, in its in its likeness and its image. In fact, uh, you know, a number of people even commented on the fact that. Uh, one, one guy in particular, one general, uh, Keegan, I think his name was, and he, he said he went to Langley, Virginia, and he looked at the situation in in uh, Washington, and he said, this is exactly what uh, uh, we had in mind when we created the Raj in India in the 19th century. This is the kind of stuff that we used to do. So this is exactly, the, the, this this is a carbon copy of the British Secret Service operating in East India. So this is, the, this is the world we're living in, and, and I think to some extent, these are the people who are, it's become so dysfunctional at this point that they're still running the show, but I really think they've run out of options. Well, wow. They've used up the narrative, is what we would say,
2: um, yeah. because people have, people have been, um, I think, um, fed uh, basically a false narrative for so long that it's hard to understand where to begin now. Unless you dig very deeply into the roots of these um, stories and into the deep history, and um, you really have a lot of work to do to untangle the entanglement that is present today.
0: So, are you saying the it's been a, over a hundred years? Then, approximately a hundred years this has been going on. Is that correct?
1: At least, well, I, I mean,
2: in terms of tracking it from the British, uh, the British Empire really. I think we're going back to the British Empire, really handing a level of the um, the empire issues over to the United States, but really being the guy behind it. So I think, in that sense, I think the I, I go back to the World War II. Post World War II was when it really um, uh, cre- it created the conditions that eventually led to um, what we call, you know, the causes belly of all time, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, which. Which became, which became effectively Charlie Wilson's War is what most people think of as the causes and effect and the U.S. role. Uh, very Charlie very Wilson being
0: the the representative, Charlie, I believe, right?
2: Right. The text is represent. Well, the name of the book and the film um, that Tom Hanks uh, starred in and playing Charlie Wilson, which is what most people really um, would say, is their their impressions of what happened. Very few Americans were focused on Afghanistan, and I think that's part of the way in which they got away with uh, being able to put out such a um, a flimsy narrative um, that once you get into it, and that's what our research has been about, Invisible History, Afghanistan's Untold Story was the research book we did on the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, and that was done in 2009, and our uh, 2021 memoir really lays out a lot of the newest analysis, but it's in, it's in the form of a memoir as opposed to a
1: research. book. But the research has basically you know, been used. And it's all true. Oh, it's all completely. I mean, the fact you know, is, is that <clears throat> I felt it was really important for people to understand the thinking and, and the experience that we had step by step working our way through a very complex situation and gaining access to various places along the way. We didn't get access to every place, but we got access to some very high level people along the way, and uh, found out some very interesting aspects of it when we applied our technique to it and our understanding to it. We got answers that other people just simply either shied away from or didn't realize existed. In fact, one of those most interesting things was uh, when when our book came out in 2009, Invisible History, Uh, The uh, the, uh, thing called the Cambridge Forum, it's at Harvard University uh, Forum, uh, hosted us and they assigned a former ambassador to Afghanistan uh, uh, and Pakistan, actually, um, uh, Charlie uh, Dunbar. Uh, He was a a State Department official and uh, he hosted the, the evening. And uh, we hadn't seen him since 1983 uh, at a time when we brought Roger Fisher from the Harvard Negotiation Project there to see what it would take to get the Soviets out of Afghanistan. This was in 1983. They didn't leave until uh, 1989, right? Right. And so uh, it took them 10 years to figure out how to do it because of the opposition of people like Charlie Wilson to negotiation. So uh, at any rate, uh, one of the people who showed up there was... A man by the name of Charles Cogan, Chuck Cogan, uh, Chief of the Near East South Asia Division of the uh, CIA, who had actually run the operation uh, and uh, for five years, uh, Operation hurricane. and uh, and so um, at, at that point, um, he said, "You know, I agree with everything you said. You know, you really you did the you did the research, you did the interviews, you did everything. You've stuck with this story for all this time." But uh, the fact is, is that um, it, uh, he said, I don't agree with you about that Brzezinski business. <clears throat> he said, you know, he said, he said, I, you know, I, I ran this operation for five years. There's no way that Zbigniew Brzezinski intentionally lured the Soviets to their destruction in Afghanistan. So anyway, so a number of years later, we went back and I said to Liz, I said, we really got to talk to this guy. Everyone's we're all getting old. We really should get this guy on on film. So anyway, we set the camera up and started interviewing him. I started yelling questions at him from behind the camera. And he said, could I say something? Can I just stop you for a minute and tell you something? He said, you know, he said, I'd never met Brzezinski in person. He said, but he came up here for a a memorial. And and he said, and I finally said to him, I said, I don't believe that stuff that they're saying about you that you intentionally, that interview you gave, that you intentionally lured um, the Soviets into their own Vietnam. And he said, yeah, we did. <sighs> we did it intentionally. Uh, you didn't know stuff that was going on in Langley that we were doing at the National Security Council at, at the White House. So, And and Chuck Cogan was like, he was like, if this guy ran the operation for five years, didn't hear about it, he said, I never got a whiff of it. So this is the level of the compartmentalization within our own government. People who are basically changing the rules of the game out from under the, the federal government itself, during this time period, without anybody knowing, without anyone realizing it, but you have to Incredible. consider the fact that this was 1976.
2: This was the Carter administration who got in on a peace agenda, and uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski entered the White House intentionally,
1: activating mm-hmm. programs to draw the Soviets into Afghanistan from day right. one. So, so you ask yourself, well, you know, how did it happen? Well, how did this? crazy thing happened out of nowhere well it didn't happen out of nowhere and the fact is is that there were a hardened core of people who were working then and representing some very high level people that are still running the show very dysfunctionally i might add but they're do they're still running the show and calling the shots and incredible and and the fact is is that that's why we created the narrative, because we want people to understand you have to start thinking about it and asking questions yourself, because what you're getting, the, there are people who write books and books and books with facts and facts and facts. They, the facts are piling up and piling up. It doesn't change the narrative. It still is the same. It was the same for Vietnam. It was the same. You had people who were saying military people, very high level military people, JFK himself. Went there in the 1950s and said, "We don't want to get involved with this. This is far too complicated. This is colonialism going back a hundred years with the French. We don't want to get involved with it. It happened anyway. Why did it happen? And this is this is the same that we're dealing with today.
0: Well, good question. Why does it happen, and why is it continuing to happen? And who are the faces now?" Because obviously the faces are changing over time, but they seem to be the same thing going on. So maybe you could answer that and kind of get into that.
2: Well, I definitely have an opinion about that. I think that when we witnessed the total collapse of what's called the left, what's called the detente boys, the boys that wanted, you know, to have peace and have negotiations and have a change and have reinvestment in the Main Street economy that had been hurt by the Vietnam War deeply, Uh, while Wall Street and the, you know, the military industrial complex got rich. um, What we witnessed was the weakness is in the supposed good guys. That's my opinion. They fail us every time, any time a war. Look what's going on right now in, um, you know, in terms of the Ukraine situation. A hundred percent of the Democrats have signed on. Nobody talks about negotiation at all you you are you're actually almost driven out of the democratic party so there is no voice that there used to be a voice of reason that i think we believed was balancing things but that's why what paul and i witnessed in 1979 was unique because we witnessed the entire left collapse and they could have cared less a lot of them took the attitude not all of them, I, I want to make that clear, but a lot of them took the attitude well, the Soviets did it this time, so there's nothing more we can do. And
1: detente is over. And Chuck Kogan actually even said, I said, you know, you wrecked a country in Afghanistan. Right. I said, it was really very building the grounds for democracy. They were self sufficient in terms of agriculture and a lot of different things, I said. Okay. And I said, that was completely undermined by what happened. And I and the CIA didn't necessarily do that. Okay, that was done, but it was done internationally. One of the important things, though, for people to
2: take in right now is that Afghanistan's women got the right to vote in 1923. The idea that what's going on since the since the the activation of Brzezinski's plot to draw the Soviets in has anything to do with what was there in 1979. Before 1979, in fact, actually, even during the Soviet occupation, women were in college at very high levels. There's many, many amazing pictures of I think it was something like 60 percent of the um, classes at the Kabul University were women. Okay, 60 percent. So you're talking about a complete undoing of a naturally evolving, moderate Muslim country. And they were secular.
1: Their government was secular. Chuck Kogan said. We had to do it. He we said had we to. had to get back at the Russians for Vietnam. That so that so was the entire come, yeah. motivation yeah. for doing it. Yeah. And they sacrificed, but forty million, a nation of forty million people. that was on the road to modernism. That was on the road to, her, to a lot of the things that we espouse here in the United States, yeah. and uh, and that never happened. And now, it's, of course, we're back into Sharia law. We're back into and, the, and people, the darkest yeah. days of of. Uh, before the American invasion in 2000. Yeah, but that's part of the false narrative. People have been led to believe
2: that that's normal for Afghanistan. It couldn't be farther from the truth. And it, it, that's part of the, the, the part that we suffer the most knowing. What really happened to Afghanistan was, you know, I, I mean, I, it, it, it's crimes against humanity. It, and the big is on the public record for having taken full responsibility for tricking the Soviets in. Why wasn't that man? he actually um, did an interview in 1998 and publicly stated that. This was the interview that Chuck Hogan was claiming he didn't really believe that's what he meant because that, that was his opinion. And that's when he got the truth from Brzezinski himself that it was true. Okay, well in 1998, why wasn't there an investigation? Why wasn't there some kind of, of, of holding, someone taking responsibility hold him accountable? He murdered, he helped set up the murder of Afghanistan.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. We have a friend whose family has been involved with intelligence for a long, long time. And the whole family has been involved with it. And and, uh, she said, you know, she said, we have the people that know what to do and how to do it right. She said, but they don't listen to them. The leadership, the leadership, the political leadership does not listen to the people who know the right thing to do. In these situations and that's why we've had catastrophe after catastrophe and poured good people and 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 enormous amounts of money into into failed enterprises again and again and again and the fact is is that we you know we gotta wake up to this because it's going to be on our backs to fix this thing in the end and, yeah. uh, and so well, we really have to start as Liz said you know the good people have to get better
2: yeah the good people have to stick to what they claim they are, you know, the balance against that imbalance. They let the, the, if you want to think of it as right and left, okay, where the moderate ones, the ones who are pushing for diplomacy on the, on the left and the right are the ones who tend to want to go to war. Well, the ones on the left are going to have to get a lot more clear and strong about how to rebalance. Well, that, that I believe is actually a genuine weakness that the, the left has been corrupted. In fact, you go back to the cultural cold war that the CIA activated in, I think, the early 1950s. One of the agendas of the cultural cold war was to destroy the authentic left in this country and in Europe. And I think they did an absolutely brilliant job of actually destroying the left in this country. Um, you know, this, this, is some, this is a separate history that is good to also know uh, where all of this, um, you know, first it was obviously the Soviet Union. And now we can see, you know, Russia is now a basically a Russian Orthodox country practicing capitalism. And they're still viewed as
1: evil, basically, because they won't right. go along with the agenda. That's why. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so let me segue this forward now, because it's we're approaching 2023. Um, Right now, the conflict or war is currently in Ukraine. Can you explain to us and myself, actually, um, how does that continue the process forward of what you've witnessed in the past?
2: I think that it is, in fact, an exact continuation. But what you're seeing, and of course, if you go back to the Vietnam War, obviously, I think that would be the, the closest, I think, example where the use of military might is showing its weaknesses and the American obviously tendency and I think this is an imperial state of mind this is what imperialism is and that's why people who don't think that America is actually an imperialist country I think have to look at the evidence on the ground which is 800 to a thousand bases Um, how many countries have been bombed you know we know in the last 50 years and by whom um, I know there's a lot of concern about the, um, the various militaries between China and Russia, but if you actually look at their world presence, there's no comparison to the, to the military presence of the United States. So I think what we have to come to terms with is, is it really a, a good thing for the U.S. to continue on this, on this imperial phase? Even Zbigniew Brzezinski, before he died, was quoted as recommending strongly that, and this would have been in 2016, recommending strongly that the United States understand that it actually has to change its military position in order to remain this this very top hegemonic leader of the world. It really has to change its use of the military, and it's clearly not done that. So even Zbigniew Brzezinski, the man who you know, was responsible for actually setting up the last fifty years by drawing the Soviets into Afghanistan and setting up right. the cause ally well of, of all time, knew there had to be a shift in the American use of power, especially military power, and it had to shift to a non military kind of power. Well that hasn't happened. And now you can see the Democratic Party has lost any uh, any of that balance happening. There is nothing between the Democrats or Republicans to do that.
0: Now, what what do you see going forward uh, now in 2023? What do you expect to happen in Ukraine uh, and the Russia and the United States situation over there?
1: Well, you know, the the Ukraine situation, Ukraine was very well documented in the 1950s and 60s in terms of what their involvement uh, was during World War II and how close they were to to the Germans. In fact, the Germans, uh, the Nazis didn't even trust the Ukrainian the Ukrainian right wing because they were so far to the right. In fact, they held them back. They needed they didn't utilize them until the very end of the war when they were running out of their own troops and they needed to employ the Ukrainian fascists in order to come forward on their behalf. And so a lot of those people have influenced After World War Two, a lot of those people got over here, were invited over here, got infused into the into the uh, establishment, into the institutions of the United States and work their policies, like Zbigniew Brzezinski, over generations, until the point where generation after generation after generation is now involved and woven in through the administration of these things. And that's what happened during the 1990s, all those kinds of ideas that were never part of the American system. Uh, that's what Vietnam did. Do, Vietnam kind of collapsed the old infrastructure, of what used to happen and how policy got how bad policy got made well what happened was is that these people came forward after the failure of Vietnam and said look it no your system didn't work we have to we have to put people in there who will make it work ideologically and so our system became ideological whereas before it was basically you know I mean uh, uh, Robert McNamara who ran the Vietnam War for the Johnson administration uh, Kennedy and Johnson administrations was it was a, uh, a numbers cruncher it was all going to be scientific. If we have enough bombers, he'd work for Curtis LeMay during World War II. He wanted to know when World War II was going to end in the Pacific. And Curtis LeMay said, just add up the amount of gasoline it takes to drop on Japan and how many more cities we have to burn in terms of square acres. And you'll know whatever. That's it. That's your calculation. It was that simple and straightforward. OK, he tried. He applied that in, in Vietnam for a number of years and he wasn't getting the results. And so the fact is is that the mathematical aspect of it didn't work. It failed and failed miserably. And so what happens at the end of it, I mean, it was a bankrupt idea to begin with. So and so finally, these this this group that had been on the fringes of American political uh, structure and and policymaking in the 1960s and 1950s and 60s, and were known to be extremists, came forward and said, you can't get answers with your solutions. Give it over to us. And so gradually, that is what has happened. And that's where we are today. There's only one extreme position. And, and unfortunately, I mean, we have, you know, we have this amazing military and these amazing people who want to serve their country and want to do good in the world. And they're getting fed into this machine that clearly doesn't care what their concerns are or what their needs are. And so, and, and, and the problem is, is that it doesn't work. We've taken these strains of ideology and festering feuds in Afghanistan, in Eastern Europe that have existed for thousands of years and plunked it right into the middle of our mechanism in Washington, the most powerful mechanism for making anything war or peace in the world, and then turned it into what we get day after day, encounter after encounter.
0: Well, we're going to find out in 2023 what actually happens. So before I let you go today, um, I want to ask you a couple questions because uh, you are uh, doing some new projects. I believe the valediction came out. So can you right. tell us about well, the valediction and, and explain to us what that is actually?
2: Well, the valediction uh, three nights of Desmond and the valediction resurrection are basically book one and book two of our memoir. And what you get from that would be the real walkthrough, the the actual way in which we thought through what we experienced and then over a period of, you know, 40 years plus, you know, we finally came to a deeper understanding of a process, of the actual process of narrative creation. And we really came to understand ultimately, we the people are going to have to create a brand new narrative. And that's really what our, what our own memoir lays out is how we came to understand that that's what we need right now. We need to disconnect from the narrative that's been out there, that's been used. Think of it as used up. It's, it's really been used up and they keep trying to get you to, you know, buy, buy into it. And what you realize is it's in creating your own narrative. And so that's what our books deal with. Valediction gotcha. is, uh, we have a website, valediction.net. And, um, you know, our publisher is Trinday. Um, so, you know, we can be found easily for those people who'd like to read it. Okay perfect.
0: <laughs> and uh, that that project is actually completed and ready for oh, yeah. people to get it.
2: Book 3 is in the <laughs> works.
0: Book 3. Is
1: oh, four, book 1 oh. and book 2 are already right. Out.
0: Right. Okay, so you're currently writing right now.
2: Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Valediction.net there's a, you know, a, a link
1: to the books. Valediction and, um, is the no, is the last word. That's our last word on the subject. I've been involved (laughs) in this, and so we wanted you to know how how we came to the first word on this thing. And being a Fitzgerald, a member of the Fitzgerald family, the Fitzgerald family has a long history in Ireland that goes back to 1170, to the invasion of Ireland by the English in 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 1170. And so my family... I think that's
0: that's something I want to know about probably for another podcast, but that's definitely interesting.
1: Yeah, my wow. family actually still runs the farm uh, down <laughs> in the southwest of the country. So it's, a, wow. it's an interesting experience. To,
0: well, to definitely go. want to talk to you about that in the future, very yeah. soon, I hope. Yeah. So let, let's, uh, let's call it here. And uh, I want to thank you for being on VT Radio. Uh, we'll get that out uh, as soon as possible to all our listeners.
1: If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button
2: now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message